So what we're going to do is go to verse number 6. We'll read down to verse number 12 uh, for this message. We're going to preach a message, Why Israel Was Overthrown in the Wilderness. And so as we've been going through this series on lessons from the wilderness, all the things that God taught them uh, that they were supposed to know by the time they got to the land, and these are the things that really kept them from growing and learning and being what God wanted them to be. And so I think it's very important, I think it's very fitting to finish up this series on this particular chapter and go through these. Because I was looking at the separate accounts and I was saying, I'd, I'd like to talk about Korah. I'd like, it to, like to talk about the, uh, you know, the meat and how they you know, lusted after the meat. But then as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, 10, it just was all in there. And so I figured that is a great way to finish up this series. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 We'll look at verse number 6. It says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happen unto them for an examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Father, I just ask that you would just guide me tonight. Give me, Lord, uh, the strength I need in my voice. Help me, Lord, to be clear. And, Lord, guide my mind and my heart to say the right things. And I pray, Lord, that the words would come out clearly. And, Lord, we learned something tonight so that we'd be ready uh, for some of these enemies uh, that are in us that cause us to miss your will. And I pray, Lord, you would just use this message in a powerful way. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... <clears throat> so it says, these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And so the first thing we want to look at, the first reason why Israel was overthrown in the wilderness was this word that's called lust. And the, the word lust means to have the affections directed towards something, to lust, desire, or to long after something. Now, we know in the scripture, the word lust isn't on its own necessarily negative. The Bible says that the spirit lusteth through envy. And so we know that even God longs after things. But in context, you'll always find whether it's a positive or it's a negative thing. And in this, of course, when we're talking about destruction, uh, we're talking negative. And that's what's going on here with Israel. In Psalm 78... Verse number 17, I want to read these scriptures here. It says, And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord, Lord heard this and was wroth, 
So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. And the account that he's talking about here is Numbers chapter 11, verse number 4. I'm going to read this to you as well. And it said, The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof is the color of bedellum. And the people went out and gathered it and ground it in mills or beat it into a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as a taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, Moses also was displeased. And so lust, lust is always accompanied with discontentment with what God has provided. Lust is always accompanied by discontentment. So you've got to be very careful that when you're discontent with life, you're discontent with a family member, you're dif- discontent with your job, uh, whatever it may be, you got to be careful because lust is just on the heels because you're going to develop a longing for something perhaps other than what God wants you to have. And, you know, look at the example of Joseph. Uh, Joseph didn't fall into lust even though Potiphar's wife was there and he made it very clear. He said these words, He says, all that is here, the master Potiphar has put within my hands or within my power. And it's only withheld one thing for me, and that is you. So he knew he had everything within the boundaries that was given to him lawfully by Potiphar. And and he gave credit to the Lord. The Lord did this for me. there's, There's only one thing he's withheld, and that is you. That means you're outside of the boundary. Amen? And so what Joseph was saying is, I am perfectly content with everything that's within the boundaries that God has given me. That's what he's saying. See, so he never fell into lust. When people fall into lust, what's happening is they are not content with the boundaries that God has provided them. They're not content with the wife that God has given them. They're not content with the food that God has given them. They're not content with whatever it is. I mean, you name it. Uh, when they're not content, like even Israel, they weren't content with the manna. And because they weren't content with the manna, they wanted something outside of the boundaries that God was not providing yet. And so they complained. They wanted something that God wasn't giving them. And so you got to be very careful because we think that's normal. We think that's normal because the world does it. The world is uh, lusting after things all the time. And so you learn that. Uh, from people on the job. You learn it from people around you all the time, how to simply long after things when you really shouldn't. You should be content with those things, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, with those things that ye have. He says, for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Yet they looked outside of the boundaries. They weren't content with the Lord and the Lord's will for their life. And that's when lust 
was a big issue. And this lust caused them not to enter into the promised land. And the promised land is what? A picture of the will of God for their life. That bountiful blessing that God has for every believer if they want to complete God's will for their life. But think about this. How many millions of Israelites didn't go into the land? You think about Christians today. How many Christians are not ever going to do the will of God for their life? Because they're not content with the life that they have. They complain, they murmur, you know, they're looking for something outside the boundaries that God has given them, and they will never have the faith to cross that boundary into the land of promise. And the land of promise isn't talking about heaven. It's talking about God's plan for your life, God's perfect will for your life, all right? And so many don't find it, and I believe we'll be, we'll be surprised how many Christians will never really experience the specific will of God for their life. They never had a life of joy. They never had a life of peace. They lived in discontentment. You know, maybe they had bitterness, whatever it may be. All these things, and it kept them out of the land. Now, when you get to heaven, you're going to look back and say, that was stupid. <laughs> you know, that was a stupid thing. I should have just simply trusted the Lord in the hard circumstances of life and not always thought that everything's against me because maybe the Lord brought these things into my life. Maybe the Lord is limiting my food to manna. Maybe the Lord wants, wants me to trust him just with manna for now, you know, because didn't he promise them a land filled with milk and honey? I mean, it was all just up the road, <laughs> but they couldn't wait for that. They had to get disgruntled about God's will in the moment, in the hardship, in the valley, and that caused them to fall into a lusting attitude. And that's what, that's what caused them to be destroyed. Um, now, in Numbers chapter 11, verse 30, it says this, <coughs> And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel, and there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. Now, how many quails is that? <laughs> we're talking about a day's journey on each side of the camp, two cubits deep. What's a cubit? From here to here. That's how much quail fell on the ground. Now, we're talking about feeding a lot of people, but at the same time, God was also making a statement. <laughs> you, you want something outside of God's will, let me fill you up with it. And that's exactly what he said. And it says, And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all, around, all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of the place Kibroth Hatava. Whew, I got that out. Because there they buried the people that lusted. So these people that lusted were buried there. So they never entered into the promised land. They never got to experience God's blessing. And while they were experiencing 
that thing they thought they wanted so much, it became rotten in their, in their mouth. I remember I talked to a guy, and he was struggling, and he'd been through some hard things. And he thought what he needed was a new Chevy half-ton. Now, I almost tend to agree, but this time it probably wasn't the will of God for him. <laughs> Everybody could use a new Chevy half-ton. But anyways, he said, I went to the dealership, and I bought that new truck, and I was so excited, and I just really wanted it. He says, by the time I drove off the dealer's parking lot, I knew it wasn't God's will for me. It never did anything in my heart. It never filled me at all. Here I thought this was going to make me happy, and he knew before he even got to the main road that it was a mistake. But now what? Well, now you've got, what, seven years is it now? How many, five years of payments on a new truck like that? And so that, that's how his life went from that point on. Just because of what? That's called lust. That's a longing in your heart. And so many times when you're not content, it's not that he needed to have a truck. He had a vehicle, and he could have been happy with the vehicle, but he thought that this would make me happy. This would bring a little more joy into my life, and he thought, I need it. I'm going through a hard time, and this is going to help pick me up. <laughs> but the Lord showed him, showed him within a short time, that's not going to pick you up. And that's what it means in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, be, be content with those things which you have. He says, for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So when you feel that lust in your heart to go after something because you think somehow this is going to make me happy, and it could be a number of things. It doesn't have to be in a moral situation. It doesn't have to be any of those things. It can be anything. You can lust after anything. You should stop right there, get your mind on the Lord for a while, and say, Lord, am I going outside of my boundaries on this? Am I not doing your will by desiring this and wanting to get this? For my life. It may be that that thing is a neutral thing. It's not necessarily wrong to have. But you need to understand there's nothing wrong with eating quail either. <laughs> you know, it's okay, <laughs> you know. But it wasn't what God wanted for him at that point. And that's what we have to ask God about. Do you want me to have this right now? Learn that contentment, you know. Because I know guys like that. And as soon as they get a new vehicle or a couple years, oh, I'm going to get another one. I'm going to get another one. And they just want to continue to feed that desire. And it just gets them in trouble because it's a bad investment, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it can be a good one if it's the Lord's will. And so the Bible says in 1 John 2.15, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you can't love God and love this world at the same time. If you're going to give yourself to this world and things of the world, you don't love God and you won't give yourself to the things of God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So what that means is, when you focus on the Lord's will for your life, what you're doing is you're focusing on that which has eternal value. You're, you're focusing on that which has a, a payback that goes far further than this world. 
But if all you're wanting is what this world's got to offer, it's all going to pass away. It's all going to burn up, including the lust that's involved with it. It's going to be gone. That's what it says right there. But it says that if you do the will of God, that abides forever. That means whatever you do for the Lord in the name of the Lord, because he wants you to do it according to his word, will continue to follow you all of your days. And you'll be blessed. You'll meet the Lord. It'll still be there. A good example of that is in the book of Hebrews, the faith chapter. You see all those things that those men did simply out of obedience to the Lord, out of faith. And especially when you look at uh, Abel, it said that, that he testified that he was righteous. And it says that he being dead yet speaketh. So what that means is you want to leave something for your friends, your family, your kids. Don't leave them a new truck. I mean, you can if you want, but that better not be the end of it. You want to leave them something that lasts. You leave them the things of the Lord. You leave them a testimony of faith that while you being dead will yet speak. And that's something they will hold on to for all of their days and something they can pass down to their grandkids. But that truck is going to rust. It's going to be gone. Your grandkids would never know you got it. Amen. It doesn't, it passes away. The Bible says. So first Peter two verse 11, it says, dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. And that's where your battle is, in your soul. You got to, I'm going to get some water here. Excuse me. You've got a, you've got a spirit, you've got a soul, you've got a body. Your spirit, be, until you were born again, was dead. It had no life in it. But when you became born again, your spirit became regenerated. Which means that now your spirit is the part of you that connects you to God. That's where the life of God is. That's where the Holy Spirit of God indwells you in your spirit. But your soul, your soul is your thinking, your affections, your, your will, your decision-making, it's all in your soul. So what it's telling us here is abstain from the lusts which war against your soul. So what happens is this. Your body on this side is pretty tainted with sin. In fact, it's so tainted, it cannot be recoverable. It can't be fixed. Your body will die and it'll be put into the ground. Or you'll be blessed and be alive till the rapture and your body will be changed immediately. It's not going to be fixed up. The Bible says he's going to give you another body, a glorious body likened unto his glorious body. So your body is corrupt. It, it is tainted with sin and it's really a cause of a lot of your problems because what you do, what you lust after is usually what your body wants. And that's what the devil wants. The devil wants you to let your body boss you around. But that's why the Apostle Paul said that he brings his body into subjection. Lest that by any means, that which I've preached to others, that I myself would become a castaway. That means God would put me on a shelf 
because I didn't put my body in its place. So what you do is you relegate that to a relationship like this. Your spirit, which contains the Holy Spirit of God, which gives you the understanding of the scripture, that becomes your master. Your soul is your steward or the manager. So all your soul is, it's a chooser. Amen? All you're doing is choosing to obey what the master says. You know, I don't own this body. I don't own the will for my life. It's God's will. It's God's body. He says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen? So all I'm doing is I'm a chooser. I'm making a choice. And the heart of that choice is my heart. It's what I love the most. So the thing that I desire the most, that's what I'm going to be choosing after. You know? So if I have one choice here to spend time with the Lord or to go, you know, do something else for, you know, desiring the flesh, whatever, then I know what I love more. Everybody makes a choice every time they go to church. Now, I know not, a lot of people are sick now. I've been sick. I know what it feels like. And so you stay home because your body needs to rest. But the fact of the matter is many times people could go to church, but they don't. Now, why don't they? Now, that's a question you need to ask yourself. Why is it that I don't want to go to church today, you know? And what you usually find is it's related to your body. Well, I'm just tired, or I'm just, I need a little rest, or... You know, I feel so comfortable in my blanket, whatever, whatever the reason is. It's too cold out there. It's, I don't want to put my body through anything that is hard, that's going to make uh, me uncomfortable. And so in that moment, what I'm doing is I'm pitting the spirit against the body. And which one's going to win? The one that's going to win is the one that I choose in my soul. And which one I love the most. Now I understand we go through times where we're weak and our love shifts. It's, it's like a switch. I say our heart, it's a very simple thing. You can do very little with it. All you can really do with your heart is direct it in two different directions. You can either direct it toward God or you can direct it towards this world. And in the scripture you'll find those two Two-way two switch. So really, you're, you're hitting a switch, <laughs> you know. So I wake up this morning. I'm putting the switch towards God. That's why we tell you to read your Bible in the morning, talk to God in the morning, because what you're doing is you're setting your switch towards the Lord. Amen? If you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to go on the job, the job pressure is going to come at you, and your heart is going to switch over this way. Now you're going to make all kinds of decisions, even a decision that may cost you your job because you act foolishly or you, you say something out of line or, you know, where if I would have just had my heart set on God in the morning, then whenever that person did that on the job, I wouldn't have reacted. See, it's the pressure that Satan puts on your body that causes you to react and do stupid things. And how you react is completely dependent on where your heart is set in the morning. You understand that, you know? And so your body is really, the devil is trying to get the body to be your master. So you got the spirit, 
soul, body. The devil wants the body, the soul, and of course, if that's the case, the spirit has no input whatsoever. He wants to totally cut out the influence of the spirit in your life. He wants you to be ruled by your feelings and your emotions. Um, get some more water here. So, and that's why I've taught in the past, like with Eve in the Garden of Eden, what Satan did there is he used external pressure to cause her to turn against the command of God. See, the devil always works in your life from the outside in. God always works from the inside out. Amen? He works in your spirit, works out through your soul, out through your body. Now, many times, if you've got to make a decision, this world isn't in tune with that. <laughs> you know, here, I've got to do this for the Lord, I've got to sacrifice this for God, and, and the world's looking at you, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Or your parents, or your friends, or whoever, your boss, or your accountant, I don't care who it is, <laughs> you know? They, they put pressure on you because what you're doing, according to the Spirit, doesn't make sense. And so the devil uses them to put pressure on your outside, causing you to make a different decision in your soul. And so that's why I'm saying, if your desires are not put into check, your affections are not set towards God, when that pressure comes, it's warring against your soul. And now you give into that lust, you've just lost the battle. Children of Israel, it cost many of them their lives because they wanted something outside of the boundaries of God. But folks, this, this concept, if you can remember what I just said or listen to it again online and get it in your head, if you will get that memorized and start living your life in that fashion, you will learn that during the, the course of the day that all these things that are hitting you don't always deserve a response. They don't, don't always need to, you know, for you to react to them, you know. No matter how bad they make it seem. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth. Not just sometimes, probably all the time. Shut your mouth, stand back, stop. <laughs> Take that situation and just give it into the hands of God. That's what Philippians 4 talks about. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what you want to take place. But if you're always going to react, how are you ever going to take advantage of that promise? How are you ever going to get that peace? You know? And so you're going to have many opportunities in your day where you're going to have these points of impact against you. So in the morning, you set your heart to God, you prepare yourself for the battle, don't let the lust, the lust war against your soul. Say, no way. This war is already won. The Lord is the victor here. Amen? And it's amazing because the world will wonder how you can handle what you can handle. And all you're really doing is just trusting God with it. Be content with those things that ye have. For he saith, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And then the, second, the next verse is, it says that you may boldly say, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, that you may boldly say, 
The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. That fits hand in hand with what I've just told you, with the pressures of life, you know. And so it's just so important that we learn this concept. Will you fail? Yes. <laughs> you know, your pressure will get you by surprise. You're going to react. But you know what you need to do? Confess it. Ask forgiveness. Say, Lord, I didn't trust you in that. And then keep moving on. But don't live in that lifestyle. That's why a lot of people, they live the lifestyle of that. They're constantly reacting to everything. Everything. That is a life out of control. That is a life of the flesh. That is a life of the body not being in subjection. And that is a life of God not getting glory. And you will never... You will never fill the will of God for your life. You will never. You'll never cross over the Jordan. You'll never experience the land of milk and honey if you cannot control your reactions to this world's pressure. And part of that is understanding this. The Lord has us all under control. There's nothing that's bigger than my God in all these things. And that's what they had a problem with when they hit that land. Those giants were just too big for them. We're just grasshoppers in their sight. They compared the giants to themselves. <laughs> and they lost. Caleb didn't do that. He said, we are well able to overcome. Why is that? Was he measuring the giants against himself? No. He was measuring the giants against his God. He said, you know what? I feel sorry for you giants because my God is far greater than you are. See, the pressures didn't hit him because he could trust. Be content with those things that ye have for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's exactly what it means right there in that context. Amen. What a great passage that is. Amen. That's good. And so... Um, how far do I want to go here? 7.42. There's two different ways that lust reveals itself. One very common one is immorality. So immorality is definitely a product of unchecked lust in a person's life. And we see that throughout the scripture. Um, Matthew 5.28 but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you're actually going against the law of God because you are not dealing with the lust of your heart. In Proverbs 6.25 it says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a whorish woman a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And so you've got to be very careful. Keep that lust in check. And so these are things that have taken people out of the will of God. Uh, these are things that have taken preachers out of the will of God. I've heard testimonies and I've known people that, were, that had a great future, but because they weren't guarding their heart, they lost everything. They lost the whole will of God for their life. Think about that. Folks, do you have the will of God in front of you? <laughs> Why forfeit that? Be careful. Guard your heart. 
keep yourself from that, that terrible immorality. And that's why I said with Joseph, he didn't lust after Potiphar's wife because he was content with the boundaries that were given to him. And that's why that lust had no opportunity to, to, to feed itself on the soul. There was no war, you know. There was no war going on because he said, you know what, I'm just happy with what God has given me. And if you're not a married people today, <laughs> be very careful when your mind starts thinking there's something wrong with my wife or my husband and I wish I would have that. And you start thinking outside of that, you're entering to very dangerous territory. I would say stop right there and repent. Get back to God and keep your focus totally on what he has given you within the boundaries that he's allotted for your life. Amen? And be content because you can be. You can be. All right, the second area is coveting. And uh, we know in Romans 7.7 that the Apostle Paul gave us an insight into this. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And so we know that lust has a lot to do with coveting. In fact, where the Bible says, thou shalt not covet, what God's really saying is, don't lust after things. That's what he's saying. And so coveting after something, and this is why, you know, you try to teach your kids when they're younger, and the world is not very on, on with that plan. <laughs> they're not trying to help you, <laughs> all right? Because when you bring your kids into a store, what they do is they put all the toys that are lots of fun at the kid's eye level. And they've started cutting holes in the packages where your kids can put their fingers in there and push all the buttons to hear the noises, to feel what it feels like. Because they want your kid, after they push that button and hear what it does, to look to you and say, I want that. Now, if you're a dumb parent, you'll buy it for them. That's not how you buy kids stuff. Because they covet after it, and then you buy it for them. What you're teaching them is, when you covet, you get. Amen? What you ought to do is say, if that is so important to you, maybe you ought to pray for it. I guarantee you, by the time they get home, they'll forget what they actually touched. But in the moment, covet, covet, covet. And that's why parents, when those kids are having that fit in the hallway, you've all seen it happen, <laughs> you know, the terrible twos and threes and fours or whatever it is, and they're just having a good old fit, kicking and screaming, because they want that thing that you're not letting them have. There's a battle going on. Who's going to win? <laughs> all I know is, if victory to you is simply to make your child quiet, you've lost the battle. But a victory to you is teaching your children that you don't get something just because you want it. You get it because it's something you're supposed to have. Amen? That's good for kids to learn. You're not depriving them. You know, the world, oh, how can you deprive... They are raising spoiled brats out there because they give them everything. And now when they don't get it, 
what happens? They throw a fit. When you're an adult, that fit has a far bigger impact. But there's a lot of adults that throw fits, just like that five-year-old kicking in the middle of that aisle when they don't get what they want. That's opposite to what Scripture says. So if you're like that, you're not a good Christian. <laughs> you're allowing the lust to war against the soul, and you're losing the battle. You're coveting. You're, you're actually breaking the very law of God. So God's not looking down and saying, oh, you poor thing. You're so deprived and sitting there stroking you. He's saying, no, no, you're not happy with me. Sure, today, people would get on the side of Israel there and they'd say, oh, yeah, how could they live on manna anyways? God is so mean that he wouldn't have given them better food. That would be the narrative that the world would give them. But that's not what God believed. God said, you're tempting me. And God said, because of that, my wrath has been kindled and my judgment will come, you know? And so be very careful. Now, we got to understand that these things were given to us, what? As examples and admonitions for us today. So this isn't just for Israel in the past. These principles are given to us and these warnings are given to us because he's saying, I want you as New Testament believers to learn from that so you don't fall into the same trap. Amen? So, you guys getting it so far? <laughs> All right. Because a righteous person does not covet greedily. So if you are trying to live righteously according to Scripture, and I know you feel like you're a failure, there's not a Christian probably that does not. Because you know your base nature. And your base nature has some real problems. Now, if you just think you're, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread, you're probably not a very good Christian. <laughs> I think good Christians, every last one of them, know how corrupt we truly are. And folks, the closer you get to God, just like with the example of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw God holy and lifted up, immediately his first words weren't, uh, oh, I deserve to be here. <laughs> he said, I am a man of unclean lips. It pointed out his sin immediately. So when you get closer to God, the more sinful you will appear to yourself. So if you got yourself all whitewashed, you know, and I'm not so bad, there's worse people than me, and you're comparing yourself to everybody else, it's simply because you haven't been walking with God. You're not spending time in the Bible. Because if you would, then you'd understand that thy word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. It's actually something that shines on your heart. And shows you what you are. And what that does is cause you to really see the, the truth about your corrupt nature. Well, what does that do? Cause you to feel all self-condemning and, oh, I'm just no good and go suck your thumb? No. It causes you to turn to God. Because you're just like everybody else. And you know, if I don't have God, then I have nothing. He says in John 15, for without me... Ye can do nothing. It causes you to realize your dependence upon the Lord. You stop being one of these rebellious, independent people that doesn't need anybody and finally realizing that, you know what? I'm very dependent upon God and I need Him for every breath that I take. 
That's what happens when we see ourselves. Amen? The Bible says in Proverbs 21, 26, He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. So let me ask you this. How can you as a Christian, Christian is a little Christ, right? Someone who is trying to uh, have the life of Christ live through you, through your surrender, yielding to him. The life of Christ is sacrifice. It's giving. <laughs> it's, it's giving all for the Lord. How can you be covetous and giving at the same time? Well, it's impossible. The righteous giveth and spareth not, but the unrighteous coveteth greedily all the day long. Amen? So what it's telling you is this. You can't have it both ways. If you truly are seeking to be a Christian that loves God, you will be a giver, not a taker. Amen? A giver. So a righteous person does not live to get, but he lives to give. A person living to get will be discontent with what they already have. They believe they need more. You're not good enough for me. Why aren't you that friend I need? You should be doing... What's, and they're constantly complaining about the people in their life. Nobody's ever good enough for them. No, I don't have a good enough paycheck. I don't have... Uh, my car's not good enough. My house has got problems. Everything you're belly aching about because you're a coveter. A coveter. And you're lusting. Like the Bible says, and if you continue in that vein, you will never do the will of God for your life. Never. Now it's going to take a preacher to point this out. Because <laughs> nobody else is going to come in your face and tell you the way how greedily and how selfish you are actually being. Amen. Let the word of God show you tonight. Let the light shine directly on your soul. Say, Lord, I've been filthy and covetous and I need to stop lusting after things in my life and start to be content with the life that you've given me. And then you'll stop sinning. Then you'll stop coveting. Then you'll start giving. Then you'll start being happy with people instead of complaining about them all the day long. Amen? When you're criticizing people, all you're doing is saying how they are not as good as you. Yes. Amen? Oh, if they'd just be like me. If I could have a friend like me, and I'd have a perfect friend. <laughs> if you'd have a friend like you, you would never get along. That's why they say in marriage it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. You give 50, I give 50. You don't give your 50, I won't give my 50. God says, you give your 100, even if they give zero. Can you imagine everybody gives 100? And that 100 isn't dependent upon what other people are giving? Then you've got something happening. Then you've got Revival. Then you've got a way that God can work in terrible situations because he's finally got a vessel that he can use to show forth his son to the world. Amen? 
Confidence. Confidence rather than coveting. That's really the opposite here. Coveting people aren't confident people. They're very, they're very, uh, what's the word? The word's not coming, <laughs> you know. Coveting people, they're not confident in their own lives. They're not confident in their future. They're not happy with their future. They don't think things are going to turn out good for them. They've got to manipulate. They've got to get. They've got to change things. The Bible says this in James 4. It says, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And I was thinking about this in the context of what I'm talking about. I thought, wow, that's powerful. <laughs> the flesh and lust, to get what they want, they fight and they fuss and manipulate to get it. And the opposite of that is, it says you, you, you have not because you ask not. So what's that part? Well, that part is prayer. So there's lust that fights and fusses to get what it wants. And then there's the righteous or the, the way that the Bible says for us to do it, pray. So what it's saying is this, the flesh never prays. The flesh never prays for what it gets. <laughs> now, can prayers be fleshly? Yes, they can. But in all reality, your flesh will never pray for what it wants. It'll say it prays, but then the next day it'll go out and manipulate to get what it wants. It'll fight and fuss for it. But it'll never wait. <laughs> it'll never just put it in the hands of God and say, okay, the flesh is waiting for to be fulfilled here. No, the Bible says right there, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. You fight in war and you have not because you ask not. So that means the flesh never asks for what it needs because ultimately the flesh knows that what I want isn't what God will give me. That means if I start asking for what I really want, God's not on with that plan. <laughs> he's, not, he's not for this. Now, this is interesting in relation to prayer, kind of transitioning into the concept on prayer here. In Matthew 21, verse 22, it says, In all things, whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Now you say, well, that means name it and claim it, right? <laughs> That's what some people would say. That means as long as I believe it, I'm going to ask for it, and then I'm going to get it. But this is the thing. When you study scripture, it's, no scripture is given of private interpretation. What that means is you can't go to one verse and develop your philosophy on prayer. So what you got to do is you got to go to all the verses. Go through the New Testament and find out how God wants New Testament believers to pray. And you do that by going through every particular passage. And if you do that, what you'll do is you'll find out very interesting things about prayer. In 1 John 5.13, it says, 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. That, my friend, is some insight and some depth into what prayer life is all about. What it's saying is that I can have confidence in my prayer. Ask yourself, do you have confidence in what you're praying for? Now, the reason why we don't have confidence is because we're not really sure that God is hearing us. Now, we know that God hears. He can hear everything. He can hear me talking today. He can hear you. Even He can hear the thoughts of your head right now saying, Preacher, it's time to go home. He knows that. But when it talks about him hearing prayers, it's talking about him giving attention to or attending the prayers that you're offering to him. He says, if you're not giving me the right kind of prayer, I'm not even touching it. Now, I know what you're saying, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> so he can only hear prayers if we ask according to his will. Well, how do you know God's will? Well, by going to the scripture. So you don't have to bother praying for anything that's outside of God's will. And in fact, your flesh doesn't want to pray for the things outside of God's will because he, the flesh knows that if I pray for it, he's not going to give it to me. He's not hearing me. And that's why you have not because you ask not. But the next verse is, and ye ask and receive not, or don't get it, it says, because, that you, because you pray that you may consume it upon your own lusts. So he says, I'm not going to give it to you. Right? So confidence, covetousness. When you're coveting, you're always worried about life. You're never sure if you're going to have enough for tomorrow. You're concerned about what you're eating. You're concerned about what you're going to be driving to work. You're concerned about paying for your gas. All these things are bothering you every single day because you do not understand that God cares about you. And if he knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows exactly what you need. And if he takes care of the lilies of the valley and the sparrows in the air, he knows whether one falls out of the sky and he knows that number. He says, how much more of value are you to me? So a Christian that trusts God knows this. I may not know how I'm going to pay for my food this year with all the inflation going on, but I know this, that I have a God that told me in his word that he's going to take care of me every moment of every day. And even though things may get tough and I'm hitting the bottom of the barrel, Folks, you're still here tonight. How many times have you just been here tonight knowing that things have been tough and yet the next time you're still there? It's just on and on and on. You continue to survive. You continue to make it. The bills somehow are getting paid. You somehow still got heat in the house. You're still driving a car to church. Yet everything's going <laughs> the wrong way. Yet you started thinking like that 10 years ago. And here you are still sitting exactly where God wants you to sit. 
Think about that. He is taking care of you every moment of your day. Now, the problem is this. When you get coveting, you're wanting something outside of what you know God promised you. Well, this is what I want to do with my life. Well, you need to pray whether that's God's will for you. Because if you start chasing after something that isn't God's will for your life, you're going to lose all your confidence because he's not going to hear you. You get that? Because it's really your flesh that's asking for it. I've always wanted to be this ever since I was a little boy. This has been my dream. Nobody's going to take this away from me. (laughs) Get your thumb out of your mouth. God made you for his glory, for his honor. Now, just maybe he'll give you the desires of your heart, but he'll give you the desires of your heart only after you submit your heart to his desires. It's amazing the things that he'll do for you when you just totally say, Lord, I don't even care about that anymore. I just want to do your will for my life. And also God answers back by giving us that, <laughs> you know, not even because we prayed for a lot. It's simply because we went to God and just asked him for what we knew that God's will was for our life. So let me encourage you to do this. You get yourself a pen and paper. You start writing down, what is God's will for my life? According to scripture, what does he want me to do? What does he want me to be? And you start making a list. That, my friend, is the start of your prayer list. Because this you know. Say, well, God's called me to preach. I just don't know if I got enough money to train. I don't know if God, I don't know if I got the ability to preach. I can't you know, preach my way out of a paper bag, you know, whatever it may be. Well, I'll tell you something, if he's called you to preach, and then you pray about it, God's gonna answer that prayer. And you can have confidence. Well, I'm not good enough to preach, so I'm just going to go and make some money. And Lord, help me to make money. And I'm not hearing you. So now I've got to manipulate. Now I've got to covet. Now I've got to make things happen. Now I've got to put on the show. You know? It's amazing how lust steals your prayers. Well, I don't have a lust problem. Yes, you do. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a lust problem. And if you think you don't, I feel sorry for you because you are very near to a lot of danger in your life. You're constantly on the edge of having lust make your decisions. And the only way that you can overcome that is waking up daily and flicking the switch. It's that simple. Lord, I'm flicking the switch this morning. It's all your will. I don't care about being rich. I don't care about being successful. I don't care about all these things in the world. I just want your will for my life today. And that way when you go on the job, that worker, that thinks he's the boss and he's not. You know the guy that's always testing you because he assumes authority? Every job has got one. Because he thinks that he's he's the smartest one, so he's the one that has to tell you what to do. And somehow he thinks if he does that, that his boss is pleased with him, but his boss is probably really tired of him and wants to fire him. Because I've been a boss. I know what that's like. (laughs) 
But it's amazing, these guys that think they know everything, they don't realize how close to actually being fired they really are, you know. But you know, if you go to the job site and that person is playing that with you, why do you care? But you know, if you, if you have a lusting attitude, it's going to bother you because he thinks he's better than me. He's going to make me look bad. He's going to ruin my reputation. Well, if you would put your reputation on the altar where it belongs and stop worrying about it and just be more concerned about doing the right thing, that wouldn't bother you. But that has everything to do with what you do in the morning with your switch. But your switch is already like this from the night before. Oh, that guy, he just gets me so mad. Tomorrow, I'm going to show him. Man, don't go to work. I hope you have a flat tire. You understand that? Because you're going to blow your testimony. You're going to ruin your only opportunity to win that person to Christ. And that's why the devil's stirring him up so much to condemn his soul. And here you're so foolish. You're making it about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about him and where he's going when he dies. And you're the child of light, the son of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, holding forth the word of life. <laughs> That's why it says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be the sons of God without rebuke. Wow. Lust is your enemy. <laughs> Learn to identify it. Learn to identify it. And it's not always what you think it is. It's not always the, the pornography, and it can be that, but it's not always that. It can be the inner yearnings of your heart and soul, and it could even be a thing that isn't necessarily wrong, but you've never put that thing in the hands of God, and thus it has become a lust to you instead of confidence in what God wants for your life. Amen?